But I love you and I thank you for the kindness that you show. Thank you that you create within us clean hearts and that you accept us for who we are and that you um, expect nothing less than a total broken heart and a complete submission to you and your words. And I'm asking for that grace right now for all of us. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we've been going through a series uh, on Christ esteem, which is another way of saying, how do we get at a New Testament theology of discipleship? What does it really mean to be a Jesus follower? We're going to look at John 12 today and focus on this idea that serving Jesus, following Jesus, and doing something with the words of Jesus are so interchangeable that you really cannot separate them. Okay, so that's where we're going today, all right? So everybody turn to John's Gospel, chapter 12. John's Gospel, chapter 12. And I'm going to be focusing specifically on verse 20 on down. And so, this is what John records, chapter 12, verse 20. Now, there were some Greeks among those who were going up to worship at the feast. These people then came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and they were making the request of him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Okay. Brief comment, what in the world is a Greek doing in Judea? That's odd. That's a curious thing. So there was a, a class of people or a category of people known as the God-fearers. Some of them were people of Greek orient, orientation. They, they came south, all right? They came from, from the west and traveled south. And these God-fearers would go to synagogues and they would pursue Yahweh. Not converted, but they were afraid of God. They wanted to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip came and told Jesus. And Jesus, he answered them by saying, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Interesting. Some Greeks want to see you, Jesus says. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Why? Because it is a living picture of what he said would happen. That if the Son of Man was lifted up, what would men do? When the Son of Man is lifted up, what happens? I will draw people to me. I will draw men to myself. It's happening. He's glorified. The hour is already coming. And then he says, truly, truly, I say to you, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Okay, you ready? First question I want you to answer. What's he talking about? Who is he talking about? Unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it doesn't happen, it, it doesn't bear fruit. But if it does go into the ground and die, it produces fruit. Who is he addressing? Anybody else? 
Absolutely. He's talking about himself. Absolutely. He is the grain of wheat that will die in the ground and will sprout and come to life in three days. Absolutely. Do you think that has something to do with us? You bet it does. He takes the idea of wheat going into the ground, dying, which is ancient language for the germination process, and springing up to life. He changes the metaphor to this idea of a disciple. And he says this, the one who loves his life loses it. The one who hates his life in this world will keep it to eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Can I just say something really plain and simple here? Don't miss that. Okay? If anybody serves me, he must. It's not optional. He must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be. Does that sound like proximity? Where I am, my servant will be? Yeah. And if everyone, anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So there is direct uh, uh, language and implication of proximity, that if you serve Jesus, you're going to be near him. Where he is, you will be near. And if that happens, God is motivated. God has a reason to honor that servant. If the servant is not in proximity to Jesus and is not serving Jesus, God all of a sudden doesn't have a reason to honor that person. And so now my soul has become troubled. Interesting language. I think Jesus realizes it's coming. The grain of wheat will die. It's coming. And then there's this language of God glorify your name. And then it says a voice, this is verse 28, a voice came out of heaven, God saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. What are those two things? Two things that he's going to bring glory to and from. What do you think it is? God pronouncing that. What do you think it is? The death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. God's glory is revealed in the crucifixion. God's glory is revealed in the resurrection. Jesus, the, the crowd thought an angel spoke, that it had thundered. Jesus said, this voice has not come for my sake, but for yours. And now judgment is upon the world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Fascinating. He's not even dead yet. He hasn't been on the cross yet. And there's this pronouncement, and Jesus says, the ruler of this world has been cast out. Talk about demonic exorcism. There it is. Demonic exorcism on a cosmic scale. Satan is no longer the ruler of this world. Satan and his kingdom is now deconstructing. And this is a prolepsis. It hasn't even happened yet, but it's about to. How's that for knowing the facts and acting on them? Verse 32, and I, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. And the Greeks say, we want to see Jesus. 
They didn't say, we want to see a rabbi. You know, like the rabbi we like. That rabbi who says things we want to hear. I have a dear, a dear client in there. So a lot of my clients, they have, they have courage at a level that, you know, to me is mind-blowing. And one of them said to me, under pressure, by the way, I got permission to say this. They say, they said, I have a tendency to tell people the kind of things I want them to say to me. Soak that one out. <laughs> I'm that for some honesty. I have a tendency to tell people the kinds of things I want them to tell me. So when you go up to somebody, you go like, I just love you so much. I just appreciate you. Oh, okay. Isn't that beautiful? <laughs> Greeks want to see Jesus and not the local rabbi. How cool is that? Let's drop down to 36. This is, I think this is amazing. These things Jesus proclaimed, and he went away and hid himself from them. I, I, I know it might sound silly, but Jesus was, was really... He had stealth. He was like stealthy. He could be in the midst of the crowd and just slip away. Just get away, get out of there. He knew how to hide himself. Wow. <clears throat> but though he had performed so many signs in their sight, they still were not believing him. This happened so that the word of Isaiah the prophet, which was spoke, um, which he spoke, would be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason, they could not believe. For Isaiah said again, he has blinded their eyes and he hardened their hearts so that they will not see with their eyes and understand with their heart and be converted so that I will not heal them. Who are these people? They're the ones that heard him say, unless a wheat... A grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies. It's not going to produce a harvest. There's nothing. Nothing happens. They're the people that heard him say, if you love your life and you make your life and your agenda and your need for control to address your fears, if you make that the driving force of your life, you lose it. But if you are willing to hate your life in this world, in the time and space continuum that we live in right now, <coughs> you will get it in heaven and you'll have life at a level that you cannot imagine. Those people heard that and they refused to believe these things Isaiah said because he saw his glory and he spoke about him. Isaiah said, I saw the Lord lifted up, high and lifted up. And I caught a glimpse. When I got a glimpse of God, all I could say was holy, holy, holy. Verse 42, this is really interesting. Nevertheless, many, even of the rulers, believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they were confessing him. Excuse me, they were not confessing him so that they would not be excommunicated from the synagogue. And look at verse 43. 
for they love the approval of people rather than the approval of God. So Jesus said, he actually cries out, the one who believes in me does not believe only in me, but also in him who sent me. Verse 46, I've come as light into the world. Look at verse 47. I want to drill a, a little, little deeper here. If anyone hears my teachings and does not keep them, I don't judge him. For I did not come into the world, but to save the world. So Jesus is saying, I'm not here to judge. I am not the axe laid at the root of the tree. That's not my role. And look what he says in verse 48. The one who rejects me and does not accept my teachings. Can you please link it up in your head? Serving Jesus, following Jesus has everything. I mean everything to do with the teachings of Jesus. You don't separate it. If you don't submit to the teachings of Jesus, you're not following. If you don't submit to the teachings and not follow, you are not his servant. There's no way around that. We have to accept the teachings of Jesus. And guess what he says in verse 8 and verse 48? The people who reject my teaching, oh, they have a judge. And the axe that leads to the root of the tree is what he said. They're going to be judged not by Jesus as a person. They're going to be judged by the words that Jesus said. Why? We get the explanation. How cool is that? Verse 49, for I did not speak on my own but the Father himself who sent me has given me a commandment as to what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. Therefore, the things I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. Okay, you ready, Christ Church, for some truth? <laughs> That's discipleship. There it is. Family life doesn't dish that out. You don't get that from focus on the family. Who else can I pick on? Downline. You don't get that at downline. Is there anybody else? Navigators. You don't get it from any of those people. This is just Jesus. Oh, weren't there some Greeks that were saying, you know, we've done the rabbinic thing. Can, I, can we just please see Jesus? You know, people are there. It's not a denomination. It's not a lot of stuff, human ingenuity. It's not that. It's not the best churches. It's not the best parachurches. It's not that. You want to get discipleship. It's this. I don't speak on my own, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a commandment as to what to say and what to speak. So let's play that scene out. There it is. We're in heaven. And God the Father is with, is with God the Son. And God the Father says, now Jesus, look. I'm giving you a commandment. Uh, what's another word for commandment? A directive, a mandate, an order, an authorization, an obligation, responsibility. Jesus, I'm, I'm giving you an authoritative command when you get down there and they get started. This is what I want you to say. I'm commanding you. I'm ordering you to say it. And this is what I want you to communicate. Bam. Do you understand? That's what's happening here. And Jesus confesses his theological position. I know that his commandment is eternal life. Hello? A lot of us are not there. <laughs> Let's be straight. We are not there. 
The, the word of God is eternal life. We are so not there. We're at the word of God is a convenient little self-help guide for a pro tip on how to do life. It's a little book of pro tips. A little, hey, some cool life hacks in the word of God. Check it out. No. Jesus' theological position is what dad has told me to say, I consider that to be eternal life. Wow. I know his commandment is eternal life. You know what? If I believe that, if you believe that, you think we could get into a quiet time? You think we could get into word, the word of God, Lee? Take it seriously. You bet. But if we think it's something that offers far less of a dopamine drop than Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, Snapchat, and you can go on and on and on. Uh, even a good football game, right? And I know that his commandment is eternal life. Wow. Therefore, Jesus says, now we're getting operational. Therefore, my life has been set on this course. I'm going to speak just as the Father has told me. Um, Lisa was in Florida for a week. Her brother was gracious and gifted gifted her and Catherine some time in Wakanda down there. And uh, so Rebecca was running the house without Grandma, and it was, Becca's amazing, as always. And uh, Becca's aging. I don't know if you know that she's getting some curse feet, just a little curse feet. I don't know why. Maybe she's tired. And um, so an interesting thing had happened. Um, Rebecca... Uh, started these little vocalizations like Lisa has this habit of saying whoop she just goes whoop you know like there was a spider and I just got the vacuum and whoop and so Rebecca was talking and she went whoop and I went Rebecca you're just like your mom you know and there were two or three other little vocal gestures little idiosyncrasies and I go oh my goodness you're just like your mom this is hilarious and uh, Catherine does it some, and, and certainly Andrea. You know, if you hang out with Becca and Andrea and Catherine long enough, guess what? You're going to say, wow, they remind me of Lisa. They remind me of their mom. Okay? I do that. I, I, I do little things of my mom. Oh, mirror, mirror on the wall. I am my mother after all. <sighs> Please appreciate the idea. Jesus said, I've made the conclusion that what God told me in mandate form, it's really worth doing. Yeah, I'm not going to second guess God on this one. It's eternal life. So therefore, operationally, the things I speak, I speak just as the Father told me. Oh, so what you're saying is if you hang out with Jesus, you're going to go, you remind me of God. You know that? You say the same things that God says. How cool is that? Ah, and that, my dear brothers and dear sisters, is discipleship. There's no getting around it. There's no getting around that. That's it. All right. Here's an example of the kinds of things God told Jesus. Now, why do you call me Lord, Lord? And do not do what I say. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts on them, ah, hears my words and acts on them. Yeah, I'll show you whom he is like, whom she is like. 
He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when there was a flood, the river burst against the house, and yet it could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who has heard and has not acted on what? Not acted on what? The words of Jesus that he is repeating from God. He's like the man who built his house on the ground without a foundation. And the river burst against it and immediately collapsed. And the ruin of that house was great. The ruin of that house was great. Do you understand that the person who loves his life more than what it means to be a disciple, that's a life that is ruined and it's of great magnitude. The loss is considered something that's great. It's bad. It's real, real bad when someone loves their life more than following Jesus. So there's a quick screenshot of the text that we've been working through. We want to see Jesus loving life. You lose it. Hating your life in this world, you get it to eternal life. This problem, here's the pressure of loving your life. Verse 43, we don't want to talk about Jesus publicly. Why? Because the approval of people is more important than the approval of God. Ah, that's the love your life more than love God thing. There it is. Yeah. Uh, Jesus is saying, hey, I'm not just religiously freewheeling down here saying what I want to say based on the mood I'm in. No, this is what my dad told me to say. And I made a life decision that I'm only going to say what he told me. I will be a follower of God. And I expect you to be a follower of me. And if you follow me, he's going to honor you for that. All right, I want you to take ownership of this teaching, Christ Church. This is the word of God, and I read it to you, and I teach it to you without apology, ever. And if I might be just a a little bit bolder, I would say this. If you find it redundant and boring, I am repeating the words of my Savior, and that's enough for me. So when we speak this morning, we should seek to build up and strengthen the faith of the church. We honor God's word and we're careful to not offer the counsel of hypocrisy. You're the body of Christ. On this, how do we live if you understand the depth that you cannot separate being a servant of Jesus, following Jesus, and the teaching of Jesus? They are so integrated, you cannot pull them apart. You're the body of Christ. How would we then live if we understood the importance of losing our lives in order to gain them? Stephen, let me know if there's somebody online. What do you think a driving motivation is for someone to love their own life? What do you think? 
what drives them spiritually, psychologically, morally, relationally, to, to consider the loving of their own life to be the priority. There's a sense of immediate gratification. Yeah. And right here, right now. And yep. The word of Jesus, I would call him a long con, but there's a long term benefit. Long term. He speaks a lot of the yeah. not yet, and some of the men will do this. Yeah. Yeah. As believers, we have to be able to accept with grace that there is a time coming when our lives will be fulfilled beyond what we even imagined. So, mm. how we adjust now. Yeah. and mimic that as best we can as followers of Jesus, I think is part of what he's getting at here. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Patch. Someone else? Why Why that default to love the life? Why do you think? think Michael? It's easy. <laughs> yes, yeah. It immediately satisfies. It's easy. Yes, come Are you, yeah, Cody, you're, you're insightful. Sometimes religion is our, it, it's our own narcotic, right? Yeah. We, we, it's a comfort drug, you know, comfort behavior, yeah. Um, and, and typically when we do that, it's, it's called spiritual bypass. Right. You know, our, our life is full of a bunch of junk, I mean a bunch, and we just take Jesus and we ignore it. <laughs> we just bypass it, you know, or we cover it up. And we claim, ooh, we claim the good stuff, no weapon formed against me. Ooh. We, we like those verses, right? But the junk that's in the cup, psh, we're afraid of it. We don't want to do it. Like so. Yeah, it's so good. Anybody else on why we struggle with uh, uh, Jenna? Yes. Yeah, I think you're onto something there, Jenna. Um, one of the driving systems in the brain is fear, right? And when you get to the central brain, where you you have the primal systems of fight, flight, freeze, appease, uh, so much of what we do is really based on fear and our response to fear. And that includes anxiety, that includes insecurities. And so when we experience that, there's only, what's the antidote for chaos? There's only one antidote for chaos. What is it? Jesus. <laughs> no. Well, yeah, you're spiritually wise, you're on it, but let's not give the good church answer right now. What's the antidote for chaos? There's only one. Order. That's it. There's no other option. It's control. And the only way you get order is through control. And, and, and running processes, control processes to secure order. If that doesn't happen, you still have chaos and it's bad. Now, here's the thing, Maddie. And boy, this is a thing. <laughs> to 
to give Jesus control. Ooh, ooh, ooh. There's the rub. We're not promised control anywhere in Scripture. Nowhere. 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 And even God can be terrified. I think, you know, the, one of the things that Jim said is, is insecurity, but the pressure of our day is, is not to be transformed, it's to be conformed. Yes, 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 yes. In Romans 12, 1 and 2. Yes. Is living this out. Yes. It comes from the transformed mind, the, the work of the Spirit, the Word, equipping us to live a transformed life, presenting that every day, and again, it's listening to the Spirit. The Spirit says to you know, ask somebody, do you know the Lord? Ask him. Yeah. He's lead to ask him. Yeah. Lee, that's so good. And here's the irony of it all, and it really is fascinating. Instead of Jesus taking control in a self-agency kind of way, like he's the executive and he's going to make decisions to, you know, to keep himself safe, he finds security in submitting to the will of God. So security through submission, which doesn't make sense, right? That's the problem. It doesn't make sense. To hate your life and submit it to God, it makes sense to love your life, to take charge of your life and bring order because you're a self-agent. That makes sense to us. But Jesus does the opposite. And he makes himself vulnerable to the arrest. And even in John's gospel, when they come to arrest him, he goes, hey, come on, go ahead. I'm letting you arrest me. Just let you know. Go ahead, go ahead. Yes. If we really believed God, if we believed how much he loves us, and it's kind of like parents. It's hard as a parent to believe God loves your child more than you do. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. Um, but we don't, we don't believe him. Yeah. Which, when you come from, you know, for me, when, and I, I still struggle with, I have to, I mean, I really, have, it's a choice. Yes. I will believe what God's word tells me because if I don't believe it then what I'm really doing is going God to a liar. You just spoke for all of us. And when I boil it down to that because that sounds really more ugly than unbelievable and I go all of that stuff it's it's not believing that, that God and the life he has for us is the best life we will ever have here on this earth yes. and that doesn't mean Edie, you have answered so well. Pulling what Isaiah said, drawing from Isaiah. These people, have, their eyes don't see, their ears don't hear, and their hearts are hard in unbelief. Jesus does the opposite and says, I will model this for you. I believe, and in his belief, he confessed, I know that his commandment is eternal life. What are the options? There are no other options for Jesus. It is eternal. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Yeah. And so the one who receives my words and acts upon them is like the man, like the woman who built the house. So you all have answered so very, very well. Okay. Um, 
I, I want to pray over you. Yep. Um, Abba Father, thank you so much for everyone that's here. It's, they're here. It's not an accident. And you are calling us to step across the line to make the decision that we will serve you, we will follow you, and we will honor your words by acting on your words. And that will happen when we believe that your words have eternal value and that overrides all the temporal things that we have in this world. Give us believing hearts, seeing eyes, hearing ears, soft hearts, obedient hearts. Thank you so much that faith, hope, and love push us on, draw us to the steadfastness of the love of Christ and the love of God. Please, Abba Father, bless us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all so much.